Hello and welcome to the Swine Disease Reporting System. This is the report number 49. Uh, this report we're going to cover the findings from the previous month of February. Uh, we are very happy uh, that this is our fourth, uh, celebrating this edition, the fourth year of the, the Swine Disease Reporting System. So it is a special edition uh, for us. My name is Edison Magalhães here at Iowa State University. Hello, my name is Giovanni Trevisan here at Iowa State University. Hello, Daniel Linhares, also at Iowa State. So, as I said, this is a, we are celebrating today the fourth year of the Swine Disease Reporting System. It started in February of 2018, uh, when the first report was released. Giovanni, what, how, how do you feel about this, this special date? Well, we are very happy to be achieving the fourth year of this project and for all of the uh, collaboration that started between Iowa and the University of Minnesota of sharing this diagnosed data and now has been expanding to include Kansas, South Dakota, and Ohio. And we are very fortunate to have a very, group, very good group of advisory group and collaborators that provide input and feedback for this project and keep that moving on and for the funding that we have been receiving from Chic to keep this project alive. So mm -hmm. thank you for everybody that has been contributing for this. Okay, and today we have, uh, as I said, a special edition. Uh, before we cover the, the SDRS findings from the previous month, we're going to have a special discussion with the five uh, champions from the, the five VDLs that are participating in this uh, swine disease reporting system. Starting with Dr. Angel Pilitsky. Thanks for, for participating. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. She's the, the director of the South Dakota Animal Disease and Research Diagnostic Laboratory. Uh, also, we have today Dr. Franco Matias Ferreira. Thanks, Franco, for, for joining us today. Thank you for, uh, very much for the invitation and congratulations for these four years, guys. Thank you. So, Franco is the uh, diagnostician from a Kansas State University VDL. Uh, Dr. Jerry Torson, he's the director of the University of Minnesota VDL. Dr. Torson, thanks for, for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's an exciting day. Uh, Melanie Prerich, she's the head of laboratory operations at the Ohio Animal Disease and Diagnostic Laboratory. Thanks, Melanie. Hello. Greetings from Central Ohio. Excited to be here today. Thank you. And finally, Dr. Roger May, he's the director of the Iowa State University VDL. Thank you, Dr. Thanks, May. Ed. Thanks, Edison. Appreciate the opportunity to participate. Okay, so let's get started. So first question, I have a question for Dr. Angela, Angela Pitsliski. Uh, congratulations on your recent position at the South, uh, South Dakota State University uh, VDL. So in your opinion, what is the value of the SDRS for the, the participant VDLs and for the U.S. swine industry? So I think there are a lot of uh, advantages for both the participating VDLs and the swine industry. So I'm just, I'm going to touch on a very few, but I came up with a, a long, extensive list. But I think for the VDLs, uh, one of the most important things is being able to contribute data uh, to this project. I think it really adds value uh, to the swine industry, the information that they need and seek. And it also helps to fulfill uh, a portion of the mission of the diagnostic laboratories is to be able to um, you know, provide data like this to our stakeholders and to our clients. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you have several contributing uh, diagnostic laboratories, I think really adds to the robust nature of the uh, information that you can provide to the swine industry. Secondly, I think it gives opportunity for the VDLs uh, themselves to compare their own data to the aggregate 
great aggregated data, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, uh, and I think that's really important for the VDLs when they're um, looking at uh, trends within their own laboratories, but then they can also use that data to look at um, their tests and their sample types and sort of do a check-in at check in with the performance of the, the tests that they're running in their lab. And again, I think having the VDLs, uh, their ability to look at historical data also provides them with uh, the ability to maybe anticipate what their client needs are going to be based on you know, historical things. And particularly with the, the uh, PERS strain information, again, to really have the VDLs be aware if there are changes going on and so that they can serve their clients uh, in that capacity as well. I think for the swine industry, there are a lot of really, you know, valuable information that uh, this project provides to the swine industry. And the first and foremost, obviously, would be just tra tracking those disease trends and their based in pathogens that are obviously important uh, to the swine industry. And it looks at both viral and bacterial pathogens. And then you take all this uh, aggregated data and then you provide it uh, in several different parameters. So they can uh, look up uh, based on production category or time based in months and years. So you really can get a, you can fine tune, you fine tune the data for them. So if they have a particular area of interest, they can really see what the data looks like in that particular area. Um, and I love that you have the advisory group input on the monthly reports. Mm -hmm. I think they add incredible value to those reports. Uh, a lot of the reports can be obviously very uh, data heavy. And so when you have uh, the advisory committee putting, giving their input, I think it really lends value to um, what they think is important in implications of disease trends for the swine industry as a whole. And lastly, I think on more of a personal basis, I really enjoy the format that you present all this data in. Again, obviously it's very heavy data. There's a lot of data points, but you present it in a very user-friendly uh, and very visual representation. So you have really nice bar graphs and line graphs and uh, trend lines. So I think it's, you know, you can sit and have a cup of coffee and really look at this uh, report and get a lot of good information out of it without having to really delve into the data, the heavy data itself. I will say though that you talked about the format and I agree 100% every time you guys send the PDF out, the final PDF report, I just forward it along to our molecular and virology staff so that they can see the updates as well. So I, I agree with that. I, the format is very good. Thanks for the feedback. Yeah. Let follow up with, uh, with Franco here on, on your role today, Franco, you were work as an animal health and research professional with also some service component, right? And so how, how would SDRS help you making decisions uh, on, 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 your, on the role you play today in the swine industry? Yeah, um, well, again, guys, thank you very much for inviting me. Again, thank you very, uh, you know, uh, very glad that you are four years on the air. Um, it's an amazing job that you, Dr. Linares, do. And I just, um, uh, I want to extend in, in that sense that, uh, yeah, um, uh, in the way that uh, I um, interpret this data, you know, it's twofold. Um, one, as Angela was saying, you know, it's that um, these trends, these disease trends are very useful, you know, for diagnosticians. 
uh, in the way that we communicate with our clients, uh, the Sumitian veterinarians, and what we are seeing and uh, what it might happen or not, right? Um, I guess a very good example is the um, Pierce Strange, the 144, you know, that have been lately, you know, mm -hmm. causing some trouble in Iowa and Minnesota. And well, here in Kansas, you know, and and some of the states that they send samples to us, you know, they are already informed about that, you know. And I think pretty much it's in the net of information uh, that, uh, well, the stakeholders, you know, the private practitioners, and we as uh, diagnosticians and the role of the BDLs, you know, um, they complement and, and and this is very progressive, you know, for the swine industry. Mm -hmm. Also help us, you know, uh, on on how what to focus on research uh, uh, in the sense that we uh, might look, you know, for uh, new pathogens or we might see uh, new disease trends. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's very important in that sense. And the role that you giving us information and how we share with the, the public is very important. That uh, interconnection, I think, is, is fantastic. So one follow-up question that we have here, and I'm going to pick one, Dr. Torreson, this is going to send for you, <laughs> is, well, these five laboratories compose, uh, are part of a national, lab, national animal health laboratory network, and that was established in the past. Can you remind us for what was the contribution of this laboratory, a little bit of why they were established, and how they are, have been supporting stakeholders in protect animal health and improve the national food sovereignty. Sure, happy to. Uh, thanks, Giovanni. And, and again, pleasure to be with everybody. And, and I, I'll add my personal thanks for the good working relationship we've had among the different labs. It's uh, really been a pleasure and, and I think very productive and helpful. So, uh, so specifically for the NALN, uh, which is how we call the National Animal Health Laboratory Network. So this is a network made up of, uh, well, it's, it's a, a partnership, I would call it, that includes, uh, it combines the resources, the infrastructure, the expertise from state veterinary diagnostic labs all over the country and the National Veterinary Services Laboratories. And so this is a way to provide ongoing disease surveillance, rapid response to disease events, and efficient communication with decision makers. So what does that mean? It means that we combine to, to increase the capabilities and the capacity that USDA or the individual labs couldn't provide alone. And, and so the big word is leveraging the resources of everyone involved. And, and so it's somewhat similar to this, but it's got a very, uh, a very sort of rigorous tone to it. It's based on quality standards that all the labs have to achieve. And so that's partly uh, from the American Association of Veterinary Laboratory Diagnosticians accreditation process. So these quality standards have to be there because everyone uses the same standardized protocols and equipment mm -hmm. so that these results are recognized internationally. And so uh, we are working on behalf of the state animal health officials and the USDA when we're performing these official tests. These are done in biosecure facilities by trained and tested staff. So each staff member that runs each test has to have a proficiency test done uh, annually. Uh, we're trying to work our way down from that a little bit. 
And then finally, secure communication so that the people who are making the decisions get the information uh, very rapidly. So what does this mean for the swine industry, for example? So some people might remember back in 2009, there was an H1N1 influenza outbreak in people that became uh, pretty exciting for a lot of producers. And, and the NAL network provided a lot of the testing uh, that was done. And then the ongoing surveillance to understand if there were risks associated with influenza and pigs that could uh, potentially threaten people. And so a big public health mission um, sort of staying on the public health vein more recently, in the last couple of years, the NOM network has had a very large role with the SARS-CoV-2 response. And so some labs did a lot of testing of human samples. So two and a half to three million samples were tested in NOM labs. And other labs helped out by providing equipment, supplies, all the things needed for the human health labs to continue testing. And, and so, um, you know, us here, the, the the public health needed swabs. And so I actually went out to a swine clinic and asked if we could borrow swabs so that they could test at processing plants in order to stay open. So kind of oddball stuff, but it's part of everyone working together to increase surge capacity, to combine our capabilities together. And so if I wanted to pull out a few key words, I would say, again, leveraging everyone's resources in a robust and reliable way that keeps us all ready. So there's my alliteration, robust, reliable, ready. Okay. Thanks for sharing off that. That was a really good description. <laughs> Thank you. Question now for, for Melanie. So Melanie, recently we are happy to, to have you, the, uh, you guys on board, Ohio, uh, participating. And recently, this month, we, got, we already have the, the PCR data uh, from Ohio participating here in the, in the SDRS project. So how do you envision uh, the, the future of the swine uh, disease diagnostic and monitoring in the, uh, in the future? Thanks, Edison. Uh, first, I am very excited that Ohio has been able to join SDRS. It's been a labor of love from the IT side of things, a lot of things happening in the background that I don't understand as a molecular biologist, but very thankful for uh, Giovanni and the team at Iowa uh, working with our team in Ohio to get this up and running. So yes, as Edison said, PCR data is coming through starting this month and some of the PERS sequencing data has been coming through for a couple of months now. Uh, we are in the era of big data science and so I see that being a big part of um, the future for swine uh, disease diagnostics and surveillance. I also see genomics as a significant player as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in Ohio, we're doing whole genome sequencing of influenza A viruses from swine. Uh, we routinely do the PERS sequencing as well. And I would like to continue developing that in the future. Um, additional training, um, increasing our capacity with staffing. Uh, something that we want to focus on is um, offering more internships. Mm -hmm. We find that a lot of the people that end up in our laboratories came in as interns in vet school or graduate school, uh, but building upon um, 
skill sets in bioinformatics is going to be very important for the future of swine health diagnostics and surveillance. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. Roger, as Giovanni said earlier, the work bet between uh, you and, and Jerry, you, set, you guys set, up, set the foundation for this project, right? And you both also work on the, on the ship, the U.S. Uh, Swine Health Improvement Plan. And uh, as, as the ship uh, PI, could, can you tell, uh, 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 tell us a bit more about the U.S. ship and, and how, what's the importance of this collaborative work between VDLs for such a project? And where right. is that going to take us? Can you elaborate on that? Right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Thank you. The, the U.S. Wine Health Improvement Plan, or what we're calling U.S. SHIP, uh, is a, uh, it's a USDA Veterinary Services uh, pilot project sponsored endeavor that really centers on um, bringing, uh, uh, establishing a platform that brings industry, state, and federal partners together around uh, common standards and definitions uh, associated in this case on, for conferring a certification that's recognized across state, across states and ultimately uh, to trading partners uh, around the health of swine, okay? And really what we're doing is, is just leaning and, and learning and leveraging um, some of the experiences from our uh, colleagues uh, in the barnyard Uh, for uh, a program that's been longstanding in the U.S. poultry and egg industries that's uh, mm -hmm. called the National Poultry Improvement Plan, or NPIP. Mm -hmm. And NPIP has been around, um, actually it goes dates back to the 1930s. Um, as re and it's really the central means at which um, the, uh, the health status of poultry uh, in this country are, uh, there's, there's certifications associated with those, and, and that's really the gold standard for recognition of health Um, of U.S. poultry that's recognized, again, common definitions and standards, you know, that are recognized across states. And, and the principal objective of this, this endeavor is to establish what's called a um, ASF, CSF uh, monitored certification that's really um, patterned, being patterned after uh, the longstanding, uh, what they call um, H5, H7, avian influenza mm -hmm. monitor certification that's held by something north of 99% of all commercial scale poultry uh, operations. And really what, our, what this ASF CSF uh, monitor certification aims to do is to proactively establish a system, again, of common definitions and standards and recognized across states that really center on demonstrating evidence of freedom of disease outside of control areas, founded on well-recognized well program standards associated with biosecurity, traceability, and disease surveillance. So it's all centered, like you said, in common term terminology and what Jerry was talking about, the norm system that allows uh, further integrate the uh, diagnostic results with, uh, with, with the U.S. SHIP program too, right? Yeah, and another thing, a key, key thing I think that attracted us to it, and, and like you mentioned, it's a highly collaborative thing. Um, it's across four of our core universities uh, with Minnesota, South Dakota, 
and uh, Illinois and then some folks here at Iowa State have kind of pulled the pilot together, but it's really across industry, state and federal partners and a core essence of NPIP is, and we're really pattering this, pattering this U.S. SHIP uh, program uh, on its same basis, is that it leverages the expertise and the, uh, the practical know-how uh, from across uh, the folks across the country, very similar in that of the NOL. And the NOL labs would certainly be central to this endeavor as any of the associated testing that may come along with it would be conducted in, in the NOL labs that are certified to conduct such testing. But what it does is it brings a Congress of stakeholders with representatives from all the participating states. Again, that these are the SMEs and practical industry stakeholders that have firsthand knowledge of the industries that are that are attempting to be pr protected and so on. And really that's the Congress of folks that comes together, determines what are the common de definitions and standards associated with the given certification. Thanks for the background. Okay, guys. So like I said, uh, before we cover the reports, we, we were going to have this discussion. So I would like to, to thank you all, the five champions that you, are, you guys are seeing here in the screen. Uh, without the, the partnership that we have with, with them and the, the support also from SHIC, the SDRS project uh, wouldn't be able to, to, to have, right? So thanks for, for your partnership and for supporting us and all the feedback. And we hope we have more and more years to, to celebrate from this project. Now we're going to move to the, to the findings from the previous month. But yeah, first of all, thank you. Thank you all for participating today. Yeah, thank you very much for participating for all of the information that you have been sharing. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity and keep up the good work. It's really an important project that you guys are involved in. Thank you. Our oh, first. Okay, guys, that was a great discussion. Thanks for, for your participation, your contribution. So now let's move on to the next part of, the, of this podcast, of this report, which is the, to cover the findings from the SDRS related to the previous months. Uh, Giovanni, what were the major findings, the PCR findings for the, the uh, PERS, enteric coronavirus, and mycoplasma? That's what I can tell you. February of 2022, it was crazy. It's very dynamic. What was in the beginning of the month is not more what happened during the month. So for PERS virus, we started the month with a, a lower level of detection, but it was uh, basically week of February 6th where we had the highest number so ever tested for PERS virus submissions for the age category adult self-harm. And those reflect in a change in the uh, positivity that's going up. And more specifically, there is this PERS virus lineage 1C variant strain that was, did form a new wave during December and January. And what was different is that you had a lot of those sequences that came from adult self-harm. So if you look in the last uh, January, February, continues to be detected in IU Minnesota, but what really changed is that now you have more detections occurring in Missouri, Colorado, Nebraska, and South Dakota for this strain. So we start to see some changes in the, the way of is detecting and may be spreading more to the other regions and not only Iowa, Minnesota now. And uh, that was it for PERS virus. When we look for the enteric coronavirus, it was a similar thing. We 
really did it change the, the way of detection for PED. It was, we started the month with a little bit more of activity and really the, the big change was from Iowa that you, we had usually about 10% positivity in submissions for PD in this state. But on the week of February, uh, during February it went for 30% and the week of February 16, it went for above 40% in the winter finishing uh, uh, phase here in Iowa. So that really t changed the pattern of detection of PED. And on the week of February 6th, also was the highest number so ever of submissions tested for PED coming from adults so far. So something is going on in the field and that uh, is associated with more activity in Iowa. But if you look for other states like North Carolina, Missouri, Oklahoma, they also had some activity of PED at the end of 2021. And that continues for 2022. And more recently, we started to see activity and detection of this agent in Nebraska, Ohio, and Missouri. So lots of regional issues going on. Similar, in the last two weeks, uh, Delta coronavirus activity really started to, to change. And that was basically driven by increased detection in Iowa, Missouri, and some uh, spike in Nebraska, Ohio, and Minnesota. So some of the, the cases that you have diagnosed with Delta coronavirus, the animal seems to be normal, but the agent is there and is causing uh, uh, issues uh, to be detected. So we also have the same signal for increasing number of diagnoses for uh, PD here at Iowa State VDL in terms of the disease diagnosis chart. So those are, are really some, some changes that's happening in lots of activity of these agents in the field right now. Yeah, great, great, Giovanni. It's important to see uh, with the SDRS capability to follow those trends that are changing over time, over weeks, and also by region, right? Right, Ed. So that's a great point, and we really learn over time that SDRS is a, a, a tool that can rapidly respond to these changes and keep the swine industry informed of what is going on on a real-time basis in terms of agent detection. So... Yeah, no. Thanks, Giovanni. And that was it. Thanks, guys, for, for listening to us. Uh, it was a great discussion that we had today. And I see you guys next month. Thank, Thank you. you.